morning. We now join a live Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. Good morning. I'm Pastor Glenn Thomas, senior pastor here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. We welcome all of you to our Sunday morning Bible class here. We welcome those who are here with us in our gymnasium, and we welcome those in the greater St. Louis area uh, listening to us on KFUO, 8.50 a.m., and we welcome also worldwide those listening at KFUO.org online. We have a little bit different and special treat for us today, and I'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, I want to encourage those who are here in our gymnasium with us to, if you can, do the unLutheran thing and sit closer to the front. I know it's strange, but believe me, it's safe. You can, you can move up to the front. Uh, we will have a PowerPoint presentation as a part of our class today, so the closer you are, uh, the better you will be able to view it. Okay? With that, though, let's begin first with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you who desire that none should be lost, but that all should repent and come to the knowledge of the truth, we thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who voluntarily went to the cross, taking upon himself the sin of the world, and rose again victorious. We thank you that through your Holy Spirit's working in our lives, his victory over sin, death, and the grave is our victory over sin, death, and the grave as well. And we thank you for the missionaries that you have raised up that proclaim that good news around the world. We pray your continued blessing upon them and upon the message that they proclaim. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our only Savior. Amen. I think it is kind of a special day for us here today at St. Paul's. We're blessed to have with us Dr. Charles Courtright, Reverend Dr. Charles Courtright. And uh, his wife, Connie, is with us as well. Where is she at? She w oh, there she is over on the side. If you take a look, she is over there on the side. Uh, he, Reverend Courtright, Dr. Courtright, is our mission of the month for July. And he'll tell us a lot more about his work uh, in St. Petersburg and in Russia. And also kind of a special treat, he is Kendall Courtright's father, and we were blessed to have him baptize his brand new grandchild this morning in the 8 o'clock service. So that was kind of neat for all of us uh, to behold. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Reverend Dr. Charles Courtright. Let's welcome him before us. Silence of anticipation, I guess. No, actually trying to get the mic on. <clears throat> well, good morning. I should start out by teaching you some Russian, I think, though. Let me teach you a very simple phrase. Mir Boje. Mir Boje. One more time. Mir Boje. The peace of God be with you. Mir Boje. And I bring that greeting to you and to our audience from uh, our church, our, our partner church in uh, Russia, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Ingria in the territory of Russia. That's its full name. And I'll be talking about the work that we do there in partnership with the Ingrian Lutherans, as we call them. And I'd like to combine that with a Bible study. But kind of to move us into the matter, let me preface it by um, getting started. First, let's spell it right up there for us. We serve Christ in Russia. And in extreme Western Russia, as you'll see, we are one of four regions that our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, operates world missions in. The three putting up here on the board are Latin America, which also includes Spain, so South America, Mexico, and also Spain, Africa, self-explanatory, and then Asia, which is Australia, China, a subcontinent of, of Asia, all of that. And then uh, the region, though, that I work in is this blue one on our map. This is the Eurasia region. Notice that it stretches all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific and includes then the 11 time zones of the country also of Russia. We have many, many partner churches in this region. Let me list some of them up here. We have partner churches in Belgium, Denmark, England, France, Germany, 
Kazakhstan, Lithuania, Norway, Portugal, Siberia, another Russian church, and then the church I work with, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Ingria in Russia. This isn't all of them. Our region that I work in has many, many partners, so and so. As you can probably guess, I and my fellow missionaries are not the ones actually trying to plant churches. We're there to help our partner churches reach out with Jesus, reach out with the gospel, and to plant new churches in their countries. Now, Russia is a large part of the region, although I'm pretty much just in the western side of things. We think about Russia um, and what I do, I have to put it this way. Translation, my job is to help teach seminarians to bring Jesus to Russia. And so I'm basically a, a seminary teacher over there in St. Petersburg area, helping this little tiny Russian seminary reach out with the gospel as far east as the Ural Mountains, as far south as Georgia. We also help work with Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. Now, Russia, Russia, it's a very large country in terms of size of, of land, but notice it has fewer people than the United States. 142.5 million people live in Russia. Most of those people, about 75%, live in urban areas. The largest city, you can guess, this is the capital of Moscow. St. Petersburg is the second largest city, has about five and a half million people living in St. Petersburg, and then in surrounding areas adds even more people. Some 40% of the population in Russia identify themselves as members of the Russian Orthodox Church. The Russian Orthodox Church, of course, is culturally ingrained and culturally connected with Russia, has been since before the year 1000. However, few actually attend worship on any given Sunday in Russian Orthodoxy. 25% of the, of, the, uh, of the population will say that they're spiritual. But this, as you can guess, is an umbrella term that combines all sorts of things. When you get right down to it, less than 1% of the population probably knows the pure gospel, the true gospel of Jesus and his grace given to us that is ours by faith in him. Notice that 15% are avowed atheists. Of course, during the time of the Soviet Union, it was the Soviet Union's position, the government's position, that atheism ought to rule the day, and they did enforce that pretty strongly during the time of the Soviet Union. There's a lot of, of um, ramifications, a lot of results that come from that, uh, that position. So less than 1% of Russia knows the gospel. Now, when I hear that, and when I go down the long escalators in the metro at St. Petersburg, it takes about five minutes to get down those things, and you see all these Russians down in the tunnels getting on and getting off trains, I am often struck by that very statistic. Uh, I can't really speak to them for two reasons. One, I don't know that much Russian. To have a, a complicated conversation would be beyond me. But also, I'm prohibited by law from talking to people directly about my faith and inviting them to church. The uh, uh, Russian constitution guarantees Russians uh, religious freedom, but that does not extend to expatriate missionaries. You may have heard, in fact, that not long ago, two Mormons were discovered in Russia uh, doing proselytizing, according to what the Russian government said. They were arrested and they were deported. At least they weren't put in jail. So I can't talk to all these Russians, but you look at them and you know, here are all these people, very likely few, if ever, have ever really heard or know of Jesus Christ. And there we are with our one little seminary there in St. Petersburg, and we have about 16 full-time students, and we just have to say, what's happening here? Are we doing any good? In fact, that's the question that comes to me most often about my work. Does it do any good? And of course, we can talk about that kind of question, but then we need to hear what Jesus has to say about it. And our Lord says this to me, 
And he says it to you too, if you are concerned about missions. That is none of your concern. He doesn't call us to guarantee the results. He calls us to sow his seed. And so today what I'd like to, to use is uh, this theme, the kingdom of God will come. And to talk about our mission work in Russia, utilizing this passage, familiar passages from Mark chapter 4. This is the parable first of the sower and the seed. From Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is, like a, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. The word of God. And in that word, Jesus tells us about mission work. He is the one who guarantees the results. That is none of my concern. Now, this parable of the sower, let's say a couple of things getting into it. Notice that this is not the familiar parable of the sower and the seed with the different kinds of ground. Jesus tells that parable just a little bit before in the Gospel of Mark, and we're very, very familiar with that. How a sower goes out and is casting seed into the wind, and some of the seed falls on the, on the hard pack, on the uh, roadside. The birds come and eat it up. And then more seed falls on rocky soil. It springs up, but it has no moisture, no root, and so it withers and dies. And the third type, where it falls on the ground, but then weeds grow up with it and choke out the seed so that it does not bear fruit. But we're very, very familiar that that parable has a fourth type of ground in it, the good ground that the seed falls on, and it produces fruit, Jesus says. It produces a crop. Jesus goes on then from that parable to this parable to talk about that good ground and how the man who spreads the seed onto good ground, that ground gives forth fruit. The seed sprouts and grows. And he uses a Greek word there, automate, which sounds almost like the English word automatically, all by itself. <clears throat> now I know we have plenty of people who have done lots of gardening here in the room. I'm kind of a city slicker myself. I grew up thinking that vegetables came in a can. Not true, you gotta plant them. But when you, when you plant a garden, what do you do next? You leave it alone. If you were to go back out in the garden after you'd planted, say, your beans or something, and dug up the seeds, see just how it was going, well, you'd kill it. It wouldn't grow. And Jesus is saying, sow me, sow my word in any good ground, namely in the ground of this earth, and I will do just fine, thank you. All by myself, automate. You sow the seed, Jesus makes it grow. So not the familiar parable of the, sow, of the sower and the seed in the ground, but the, the work in good ground. Now, what we can also see then from this is that God's kingdom does come. The thing is, it doesn't come on our timetable. And it doesn't come with our planning. It doesn't come because we make it happen. It comes because the word of God works as it is sown as according to God's promise. This is what Jesus is saying then. The word of God does the work and it does so quietly and without a lot of fanfare. You, you, gentlemen, your wife isn't gonna wake you up and tell you to go tell the zucchini outside to knock it off, they're too loud, right? A garden is a very quiet place. And the garden of God's word also does its work without a lot of fanfare, without a lot of glimmer and glitz often. The sower, his role is merely to scatter the seed. And in Jesus' day, he uses that picture. You have to kind of wonder what the sower's thought, just walking through the field, just throwing the seed, into the air, letting it fly, and letting it fall wherever it would, and having to trust. In fact, they would go home at night, and get up the next day, go about their business, but all during that time, Jesus says, the seed, rather, 
sprouts and grows even though we don't know how. God, the Holy Spirit, certainly does, however. Now, I'd like to use the Ingrian Lutherans kind of like Exhibit A in talking about this work of the kingdom coming. Because there's a case where who knows what the word of God is doing. We can't see, we can't make it happen, and yet we have Jesus' word that things are happening because of the planting of the seed that the Ingrian Lutheran Church, with our help, is doing in Russia. Now, let me start by asking, where's Ingria, right? How many have ever heard that name before? A couple, all right? Otherwise, most Americans, we don't know Ingria. We've never heard of the name either of Karelia. But these are two regions in Western Russia that I'd like to show you. Here's a map of Scandinavia. And for our audience at home, you have to think of where Sweden and Norway and Finland are, way up in the north towards the Arctic Circle. And Russia sits off to the right on the, uh, toward the east. Here we have a, a, a look at the actual borders between Finland and Russia. You also see the country of Estonia right there and Latvia. And here's Russia. Right on the edge of Russia is the city of St. Petersburg, right on the Gulf of Finland. And these regions, as you can imagine, haven't always been Russian. In fact, the region that we call Karelia and the region we call Ingria these two places are really Finnish in their origin. The Finns, people from Finland, came down and first settled in that area. And so this part of Russia has a lot of people who are not ethnically Rus, not ethnically Slavic or Russian, but Finnish in their origin. They speak Russian today, but at the time of the Reformation, uh, there were a number of peoples in this area. Now, at the time of the Reformation, Sweden, actually held all of what is Sweden, Norway, Finland, right around the Baltic Sea, as far south of, as modern-day Lithuania. And at the time of the Reformation, uh, after Luther's death, the word of God came forward into uh, Scandinavia, and the whole country went Lutheran, which is why there are so many Lutheran churches in that area. They also came by sea after Luther's death, the... Uh, uh, Lutherans came by sea to the area of the Gulf of Finland and settled then in the area where now, nowadays uh, St. Petersburg is. I know this is kind of a history lesson, but let's continue with it just for a moment. In 1700, the Tsar of Russia was the man Peter the Great, although he wasn't known as the Great quite yet. Peter the Great was looking to expand his influence and also to make his country more Western. So he did two things. One was to get a port on the, facing the west on the Baltic Sea, and he built, seized it from the land from the, uh, the Swedes, uh, the city of St. Petersburg there to be that port city. He also engaged the Swedes in a war that lasted from 1700 to 1721 for who was going to control that part of the world. He won the war, and he built then St. Petersburg on its present location. Now, the Tsars made St. Petersburg their residence, but the capital, of course, remained in Moscow. Not long after Peter comes another great leader of the Russian people, Catherine the Great. You see her years there from 1729 to 1796. She, she was a German, and she married the Tsar. When the Tsar died, however, Catherine did not release power, relinquish power, but she remained in power. In fact, she was the czar. And as a German, she invited many Germans, maybe some people in our audience, in fact, whose forebears did this, many farmers and others from Germany into Russia, made them promises that they would have land, their sons would not serve in the Russian army, and they, many, many came. What did they bring with them? They brought their Lutheran faith. So Lutheranism ended up in Western Russia from the time of the Reformation to the present. We have to fast forward into history a little bit more and then understand that in 1917, of course, this all changed. At the end of World War I comes the Bolshevik Revolution then that ushers in the time of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. 
Uh, at the initial uh, beginnings of that, they could not control the country or religion as they could later. So in the 1920s, there was still religious tolerance of a sort. They spoke against religion, but at the same time, they did not try to get rid of it. By the time you come to the 30s, however, that all changes. Under Stalin, the Lutheran churches in particular suffered greatly as their churches were seized and then used for different purposes. The pastors, most of them were executed. Many people were exiled from congregations, exiled to Siberia, but also north in the country in northern Karelia. And this was a situation that pertained all the way through until the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991. I have on the, on the screen here a picture of four young men. And these are uh, examples of the kind of thing that happened under the Soviets. The four men we see on the picture there were seminarians at a little tiny seminary at St. Anne's Church in St. Petersburg. This is in the 1930s. One day, the soldiers just showed up, marched them all outside, and shot them. Uh, this was the typical way that they dealt with the Lutherans. Now, recognize what they were dealing with, the Soviets. First of all, these were Germans as far as they were concerned. Didn't matter if you were Finnish or Swedish or whatever, you were Lutheran, that equaled German. So that's one strike against you because Russia just fought World War I against Germany. Second, you had been uh, patrons of the Tsars. And of course, the Bolsheviks were about getting rid of czarism. And third, you were Christian and meant it. And so that also meant they were prime targets. As a result of all this, by the time you come to um, uh, the end of this sad history, you have to ask, where's the word of God? There was one lone Lutheran, Ingrian congregation left when the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. But from that one tiny seed, God has continued to sow his word. And today, uh, Jesus saying his kingdom will come, we point to this. It has grown now. From 1991 to the present, one congregation, now there are 90, plus some preaching stations. There are about 20,000 members of the Ingrian Lutheran Church now. The Ingrians themselves call themselves a resurrected church. Uh, they say, first of all, remember, we've been here a long time. We were here since the 1600s. We have heard that we've been preaching and teaching the word of God since then, too. We belong here in Russia, in this part of Russia. And as a resurrected church, we're reestablishing ourselves where we were back before the, uh, the rise of the Soviet Union. Now, what happened to all these churches that were seized? Many of them had been turned into barns. In fact, the church you're looking at here, this is St. Mary's Church in the background of the picture and up in the right-hand corner. St. Mary's Church is the mother church of the Ingrians in St. Petersburg. It was used as a barn. They kept hay in there and animal feed and so forth. And uh, basically, you, know, you can imagine the dirt and all of that in that former house of God. Some churches were turned into theaters. I'll show you one that was made into a swimming pool, even. But they've been returned to the churches that owned them before the Soviet Union, and they're being restored. I wish our, our audience could see this, but this is St. Mary's Church today. And you see the balconies, the two twin balconies, bright and white, from a barn back into being, the word, back into being a, a house of God. The chancel has a wonderful picture that if you're there, I hope you get to see of Jesus' ascension, in fact. Now, about 225 to 250 Russian-speaking people worship there on any given Sunday. That's for the Russian service. There is a Finnish service that precedes it. I've never gone to it because I don't speak any Finnish and very little Russian. But you can see uh, the, the congregation is back and growing right in the middle of St. Petersburg. And here's even something that's even more wonderful. There's a picture on the screen right now of a communion service, and we see all the children coming up for a blessing at the rail. And this is one of the wonderful things that we're seeing, children again in these churches. The old Soviets didn't mind at the beginning that elderly people continued to go because, as they said, they're old, they're going to die, and they're stupid anyway. 
But the younger people, they wanted to keep from church, and so they prohibited religious instruction and made sure that, they, that Jesus was not known. The children are back, which says there is a root growing again in Ingria. Now, this church here, I don't, it's not a real clear picture, but that's actually a church that was turned into a swimming pool. And typically, the Soviets would do this. They're, they put a diving platform in the altar area in the chancel to show their disdain for the altar area, the word of God that was preached and, and uh, uh, administered there. They knocked out the floor of this building and dropped it all the way to the basement and made a diving pool, put in bleachers on either side so that you could watch the diving competitions. This is what it looks like today. A German Lutheran church received it back. They put the floor back in, took the diving equipment out, and it is now another worship space. Although, if you look real carefully at the picture, you can see the bleachers that were still that were used at one time to watch the diving competition. Those are still there. However, this building now, here's the word of God is back in it. I don't do my work primarily among congregations, again, because... I can't preach or teach directly in Russian, nor is my, my expertise there. They've asked me to deal not with congregations, but at a seminary, and that's where I'd like to go next. This is uh, the, a picture of our group in 1994 already. So the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. In 1994 already, the Ingrians said, we need to reestablish a seminary, an institute, to provide workers for the church. Uh, think about it. All their pastors almost entirely were gone. They had some men from Finland who were coming down and able to preach and teach. But no, no um, what can we say, homegrown pastors of their own. The men who were coming to, coming to faith and so forth had come out of atheism. Think of that. Almost every pastor today in the Ingrian Lutheran Church originally, he grew up under the Soviet system, was an atheist at one time. So they, they say of themselves, we have no root. We're this resurrected church, but we have no root. Our pastors don't know the word of God in the way of having grown up with it. Sunday school, confirmation, and so forth. We know the gospel, but we don't have the word as connected to us as we would like. And so the self-evident need of this institute took form, took shape. It was founded in 1994 and used professors largely from Finland to help train new pastors for the Ingrians. Sad to say, as the state church system, though, over in Europe has wandered away from the word of God, the Ingrians have said, we need faithful teachers to continue this work. And so they've asked the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to partner with them in helping to form pastors and church workers for them. That's where I come in. They've asked me to come and teach. I teach primarily Old Testament but to train pastors to go out and do the work of reaching out with the word of God in the Russian language throughout Russia. This institute is in a place called Kultashi, which if you've never heard of that town, I'll almost guarantee most of you know about it, however. If, you, uh, if you've ever heard of Ivan Pavlov and his famous dog experiment where he rang the bell and the dog started salivating because they knew it was dinner, that's where he did it. And you know it works because they have a little bell for the chapel, and every time they ring it, I start to drool. <laughs> the building there looks like this. It's a small place. This is not a large institute, but a small institute, although very nice. This is a building that was built with help from America, and it houses the work of the seminary. Uh, this, this is our chapel. This is the entire seminary family there. So you see, we're not a large group. We meet every Wednesday for worship, uh, for formal worship, and then the classes continue after that. They have dormitory space because most of the students have to come from far away. Uh, most of the students, by the way, are subsidized. They can only add four new students every year because of the cost. Students themselves cannot pay much for this except for a couple, and so they're subsidized. Four times four gives you the student body of our, of our little seminary, about 16 full-time students. More students do come from far away. They'll spend about a week on campus taking one or two courses intensively, go home, do their homework, come back at the end of the semester and finish up. It will take them longer than the four years that, that is normal for 
uh, the full-time students, but they too are working at their, uh, at their future vocation. This is a picture of one of the classrooms. It's a very nice, uh, very nice um, setting, very nice accommodations for us. We have the internet, for example, uh, electrical. Plumbing's a little bit on the, on the second world side, but otherwise very nice, very accommodating for teaching uh, and for, for learning. Now where is this? St. Petersburg sits, as you can see in the map, but if you're looking, you wonder, it's right on the Gulf of Finland. By the way, it doesn't get as cold there as it does in Chicago. <laughs> uh, really, we, we get down to some below zero, but it doesn't stay there. So it's not all that bad. It does get dark, though, and stays dark. The darkest days in winter, sun comes up around 10 o'clock in the morning, goes down by 3. Right now, the reverse is the case. In fact, they have what they call the white nights going on, and the sun stays up till after well after 11, and then this gets kind of like twilight and then comes back out for, in full force around 3 in the morning. St. Petersburg is actually bounded by a yellow line on the map. This is the ring road. And as big as the city is, it really just ends where that ring road is. All these apartments and things just stop, and then you go out of the town, out of the city, on the highways, past smaller villages and things, out to Cultiche. Now, my wife and I live in, a pl in St. Petersburg so that we can go to the stores and get to church and all of that kind of thing. We live at a place called Prospect Energetikov. You see it on the map there. And Koldeshe is about 10 kilometers outside of town from where we live. That's about six, seven miles. To get there, get up in the morning. This is our apartment building. We live on the, on the third floor out of 21. There are five buildings like this, so about 2,800 apartments in this. Almost everybody lives in apartments that we know of in St. Petersburg. Get up in the morning, it's dark. Of course it's dark. This is St. Petersburg. Walk down to the... Uh, the large metro station called Ladishkaya, and before I get on my bus, usually I go to McDonald's, <laughs> buy a Big Mac, Big Mac coffee. Then I get on my bus. This is called a Marshrutka bus, and this is a little commuter bus that takes you out of town. Costs 53 rubles. I have a 50 ruble bill that I hand over, and three rubles, that's about 73 cents. And get my seat, there are usually 21 seats on these. They hold 44 people, though, and they usually have 44 people. Get up in the morning. I get on, I get on at the point of origin, so I usually do have a seat, but someone's always going to be sitting next to you, and then all these people get on, and we head out of town, people getting on, getting off, until we get to a bus stop, get off the bus stop, walk for about 400 yards along a highway. Now, it's dark. This is the picture that the people are looking at shows it in spring, but I'd be walking right along that snowbank by the car, so I always carry a little lamp, and I'm waving it in the morning so that they know where to hit. You know, so. No, actually, they, they veer off, thankfully, right? Walk down the road, cross it, and then launch off into some woods. There's a birch forest that you walk through for about 10, 10, 12 minutes or so, and it looks like this. It's very green, leafy, and the trail goes down through. But as you get into winter, Turns a little bit snowy. This is what it looks like in April, just before we left to come home. So a lot of ice, a lot of snow, it sticks around. But where you're heading for on that trail is that little white gate. And at the top on the hill past the white gate is the seminary. Takes about an hour to get out there. At the end of the day, reverse the process, go back home. Now somebody's going to ask, what's your wife during, doing during all this? Well, she's the one who actually interfaces more with Russian society than I do. I'm out of the seminary, but she's working with, oh, meeting with our landlord, for example, to fix the washing machine, or going to the banks, or uh, going to the grocery store and doing all this kind of thing, uh, helping us to maintain. She's also busy doing some volunteer work in the region and uh, meets with uh, the International Women's Club, all these different kinds of things. So she's busy at home during the day that way. Now, once out of the seminary, what goes on? Well, teaching, you know, it's not, it's not all that glamorous, I suppose. Small classes, however. Notice there are four people. One of these is a lady here. This is Irina. Irina's a pediatrician, and she's working to train as a deaconess in the Ingrian Church and going to work in her profession, in her vocation as a deaconess in the Ingrian system. 
The others are seminarians, and then far on the right, that's my translator. Because I can't speak Russian, I need to have everything's done through translation. And this is Haley Makarova. She's the bishop's daughter, actually. And she translates for me. And uh, I can't ask for a sweeter, nicer person. Every morning you come in, and she has Dobra Utra Professor Pajalsta. Come on in, and uh, she will march through the whole day with always a smile. It, it, translation like that, that kind of work is sort of like a dance, I'd have to say, in that I've learned with her how much to say and how much she needs to be able to start to translate that into Russian. She'll give that in Russian. The students are listening and taking notes. They may have a question, so they'll ask a question to her in Russian. She'll translate from Russian into English for me. I answer the question, it goes back, back and forth, back and forth. Pivotal, pivotal, important individual, uh, Haley. Let me introduce you to a couple other students. This is what the seed of the Word of God is doing. This is Ihor. Ihor was a third year student last year. He'll finish up this year. He was a Russian major in the army, a major in the Russian army, not the Soviet army. He's too young for that, but a major in the Russian Federation. Now, even, even in the Russian Federation army, I guarantee you, you don't get far by being an active church member. And so he was an atheist. You know, I really can't tell you how he became a Christian, however, because the Russians do not divulge uh, a lot of that kind of personal information to you, unless you know them very well. So he's never told me the story. But I do know he knows his Savior. In fact, one time we were talking about the book of Amos in our class, and I'm not sure exactly, can't remember exactly what it was that clicked. But everybody left after the end of class, and suddenly Ihor came back in, just strides up to me, this Russian major, and grabs me. Thank you, he says. <laughs> and... Whoa, I've never been hugged by a Russian major before, but there you go. Um, notice what he's doing. He is working today, I mean right now, this summer, in, with the undesirables, as they were known, in northern Karelia. If the government didn't like you, you could get exiled to Siberia, you could get exiled to northern Karelia. And so this former Russian major is working with people who would never want him around otherwise, nor would he want to associate with them but the love of Christ has brought them together. This is the kind of thing that we're seeing happening over and over and over again. Quietly, gently, the seed is sprouting and bringing forth fruit. Now here's our classmate, this is Slava. Slava, uh, that's his nickname in, in Russian, but he will tell you that in English. He will say, my name, Slava, my name means praise, and he means it. Notice that he was a political prisoner and an atheist. By the way, he lost a leg in all of that, but he's a very, very cheerful man. Um, notice they're not young men either, just by the by. They're not necessarily young. But Slava is also um, training to be a pastor. He's in the same class with Ihor. So it's kind of like having Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot together. But the love of Christ again has brought them together and they're great friends, they're great brothers in Christ. Slava is working uh, right now around Lake Ladoga. He'll finish up also next year, God willing, be ordained, and will be working then as a pastor on his own. And then finally, one other student. This is Sasha or Alexander. Um, he's a second year student last year. I put him, I, I like to introduce him because he has a young son whom he says, I hope, I want him to become a pastor. Think about that. Here's this church that's been cut off by human sin and yet is growing back. And now we're starting to see generationally that the church is starting to grow again that way. Much as our church benefits, not from dynasties, but from fathers and grandfathers who were in the ministry and church workers coming from these families, this is what we pray is also going to start to happen in Ingria with people like Sasha and his young son. Now, what do we do? Well, we do what any seminary does, although we have to do it through translation. This is uh, an example of what I do. Uh, on the screen, people are looking at uh, a block of Russian. That's the, that's the Bible in Russian, so if the students can read that, then I'll put in some English notes that I use and Haley, my translator, uses to help know what, what the point is. What are we trying to talk about? 
And so we'll use these kinds of, of tools uh, to get the uh, word of God across to our Russian-speaking students. We do some fairly heavy-duty theology. This is a page, or what they would be looking at, to do a study of the Psalms. Now, we're not advanced enough yet in our work to be able to train them in the use of the Hebrew language. But we do work very closely with the Russian then with them and teach the students the very careful uh, attention to the word of God, the very words, so that they understand what is God teaching us? What is he saying? What is he promising? And that's all for the sake of leading them in the process of sermon writing and in teaching Bible classes themselves. By the way, we're studying Psalm 23, you'll see there, but for them, that's Psalm 22, which causes all sorts of interesting confusion in class. Okay, we're studying Psalm 23. You mean Psalm 22, Professor. That's what I said. This is that kind of thing, back and forth. Now, Jesus that day didn't just tell a parable about the sower scattering the seed. You remember he goes on to tell another parable. Again, he said this. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The word of God, Mark chapter 4, 30 to 32. Jesus talks about how the kingdom is, grows through the sowing of the seed, the word, which is him. And now he talks about how that comes quietly and comes without a lot of fanfare. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. Now this parable is not so much about growth, but how small and how insignificant the reign of God appears to human eyes, to this world. Remember, God reveals himself in this way, Jesus says. Not in the high and the mighty and the powerful and the impressive, but in what is small and hidden and weak and worldly insignificant, which is how our God works. Remember, the king, our king's greatest moment was this, when he hung on a cross between noon and three on that very good Friday. And you know that nobody in the world paid hardly any attention to it at all except his own disciples. And most of them, where were they from? They were from the lower rungs of society. And yet God was accomplishing great things in this very, what looked like a very small and insignificant, a mustard-sized seed, death, and resurrection. I'd like to go back to the Ingrians and call this Exhibit B. This church exists today in St. Petersburg. It was founded by Germans and was called, in fact, the Annenkirche, a German name. It was built in 1775 and housed in a German congregation for many, many years. It looked like the picture up on the right in 1922. It looks much the same today as you see on the left. Um, there's a picture I wish our audience could see of the inside of the church where there is the congregation gathered and they're in front of a big stairway that's going up to two balconies. We've seen that before. Here's the pastor on the stairs, probably the choir here, but it's a glorious building inside. There are paintings on the walls and a big chandelier, all light and white. Well, this church, when it was taken over in the 1930s, was turned into a theater and used that way by the Russians or, or the Soviets for many, many years. When the Soviet Union dissolved, however, and it was going to be handed back over to the original owners, a German Lutheran group, a fire broke out mysteriously the night before the keys were to be given to them. And it burned the inside of this building completely out. All that was left were the outer walls. The roof came in, tower came down, the building was just a wreck. Um, interestingly, the St. Petersburg government looked at that building and said, you know, this is a landmark building, we're gonna rebuild it. So they did. They rebuilt the outside so that it looks like the picture up there, nice in this green and white color. And they put the roof back on, they put the tower back up. They didn't put the cross on, but the cross, by the way, is back. It's just been put back this past year. Uh, but they left the inside entirely like this. 
This is what this church looks like inside right now. I wish I could see this in, in, on the audience and, and over the airwaves, but here's that stairway that the pastor was standing on going up to the balconies. You'll see it's all burned out, though. It's still blackened and kind of gloomy inside. The main church, the plaster's off the pillars, and there's these rough benches in there. I'll tell you, this, the, 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 the floor is made of plywood. It's kind of like walking on the ocean as you kind of dip up and down as you walk on it. This church... This building, the Russians love it. They love it. They love to come here because it's dark and it's mysterious. And they come here to see art pictures and they come here to hear concerts. And the Holy Spirit, who has no scruples, <laughs> he hands out through the Ingrians information to Russians who would never come in a church building. But they'll come here. And so they have uh, the word of God being given to them. Messages given to them as they come and gather for concerts and so forth. The Ingrians use this as an outreach tool, an outreach venue, if you will. Now, there is church still going on also in St. Anne's Church. In fact, on those same stairs are Russian-speaking congregation and our little tiny English-speaking congregation. That's where we celebrated Easter just this past March. We actually have a room, though, up in the building. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself where there's a small chapel. That's where we usually have church. But because we had larger numbers, we had church on the stairs, as you saw in that picture back in the 1920s. God works through insignificant things as far as the world is concerned, like baptism, right? Not much to see there, and yet what comes? God brings new life where there was no life. He creates faith. He creates new life through the water applied with the word. Holy absolution, not much to listen to, and yet you know what that is. That's 100% 200 proof forgiveness of sins that's spoken to you in Jesus' name by Jesus' command. People see Holy Communion, not much to look at there either. And yet here is the, the very body and blood of Christ placed in your mouth for your forgiveness. This is how God works. And he works through tiny little groups, insignificant groups like the Ingrian Lutheran Church in Russia. Um, mustard seed. The world doesn't pay much attention to it, but God blesses it with great, great growth and in fulfilling his purpose. Our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, is blessed to have a, a wonderful team over there. I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about my colleagues. Uh, we have Sarah Harms, who is a young lady who has just joined us in Russia. Sarah uh, graduated from Concordia Mequon and was assigned first as a missionary to work in Eastern Czech Republic. She's gone career on us in that she's become a career missionary. Is now going to be working with us in Russia with Orphan Brain Train, if you know that group. She's going to be helping uh, shepherd uh, young girls who graduate at 18 from the orphanage system, but they become responsible adult members of society and don't get lost in all the other kinds of things that can happen to them. And Alyssa Anders, who's the one who's been of us, of the four of us there, she's been there the longest. She was originally uh, assigned to Turkey, but had to be evacuated. And so what are we going to do with Alyssa? She said, I'm willing to go wherever you send me. Would you go to Russia? She said, yes. She came in the, in the middle of winter at night, because it's always night there, knowing no Russian. I would have been scared to death. Uh, but she came in and she's learned Russian. In fact, she's so good at it now, she can argue with the Papa John's pizza man <laughs> and win. Um, Alyssa's great. She teaches English at the seminary to the seminarian. She teaches English in the congregations and does a lot of youth work, so, and also just a wonderful, wonderful spirit. Now, we're being joined, as I said in, the, in my remarks this morning at this service, uh, by Pastor Jerry Lawson from uh, the other St. Petersburg, from Florida. He's going to join us there. He also will teach at the seminary, and he, he's bringing his family with them. We have another pastor who's not coming to Russia, but nearby in Latvia, uh, Dr. John Brambaro, Brambao, I think. I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, is going to join us in Riga 
which isn't too far away. And in fact, we hope we'll have some kind of some um, cross-pollination, if you will, between that group and our group. So uh, I'd like to uh, start to wrap this up, if I can. And I'll say uh, correctly this time, Boži Vlaslovenia, which means God bless you. God bless you. But you can say with me now, Mir Boža, Mir Boža, the peace of God be with you and with also those who are listening to us. Uh, again, our thanks, my wife's thanks and mine for having us here. Uh, I guess I should just end with a couple of words. Um, what can you do? What can you do? Because we can't send us all to Russia, and I can't be in Russia unless we have people here supporting. And what I would especially encourage is this, your prayers. I know here at St. Paul's we have been in your prayers because I've been told that by my son, who, who belongs here. We really, really appreciate that. We appreciate also, also the support that has come through the congregation to us. And I hope as you think about that, you realize that makes us partners, really, truly partners, doing the work together. I can't do it over there by myself, and we don't all need to go over there, but together we are working. So I kind of think coming here today is sort of like Paul, Paul and Barnabas, or maybe Paul and Barnabet here, my wife coming here and reporting back to Antioch all the wonderful things God is doing through the prayer and support and love of Christ that we have together that is then reaching out, spreading the seed, and small little mustard seeds bringing forth the fruit that God wants. Thank you very, very much. Mir Boja. Want to take any questions? Or? Oh. Pastor just said uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions if anyone would like to. Yeah, we have a few minutes for that. I'm wondering, how did that one congregation manage to survive? Uh, the question is, how did that one remaining Ingrian congregation survive? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know all the Russian history. I shouldn't say that at the beginning. I'm no expert in either Russian history or Ingrian history. I really don't even know the location where it was. It certainly was not St. Petersburg. You'll notice that the seminary, for example, is not in the city. It's not in the city in part so that it's not spied on so easily. But um, they managed to, to keep the spark alive, uh, just like other Christians under these um, kinds of situations were managed to go underground, but managed to stay together. Any other questions? Please. Uh, the, the question was uh, the, the flags that were uh, associated with the two regions I'm talking about, Karelia and Ingria. They both have crosses. You'll notice they look, except for the colors, much like the Swedish flag, the Danish flag, and others in that part of the world. The cross certainly has significance. It is a, a Christian symbol. Um, but I don't know how they've incorporated it in terms of the colors and so forth. These are not official flags in Russia, but have just been associated with these areas. Uh, so where did I get them? Well, the internet, of course. <laughs> internet, that's a Russian word, by the way. Internet, you use computer to find internet. <laughs> Anything else? What's most challenging? I'll take that first, then what's most rewarding? The most challenging thing is the Russian language. I wish I could just know it like on Pentecost because it is very hard. Um, it's not as hard as, as Finnish. Now, do we have any Finns here? People have Finnish background? Oh, good. I can tell my joke. Um, <laughs> the Finns will tell you, don't bother learning our language. Our language is one of the hardest in the world, and it truly is. But they'll also tell you, remember, Finnish is the language of heaven. So you'll have an eternity to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> Russians right up there is a very difficult language. And um, besides your words that they borrow, like computer, uh, you have to learn this very difficult language. And at my age, it's just kind of hard to do. So we're learning bit by bit. I've forgotten a lot of it coming back and being here for almost three months. 
but we'll go back and we'll pick up learning. Now, you also ask what's the most rewarding thing. You saw some of them, Ihor, Slava, these people, they, uh, to know them and to see the joy that they have in learning so that they can go do this work. And remember, they're not gonna, they, they don't get salaries, most of these pastors. They have to find a job to support them in that work, but they're willing to do it because of their love for the Savior. And that's just wonderful to be around. There's a question back here. Well, um, is Dan McMiller here? <laughs> there he is. There's the culprit. <laughs> How did the Lord draw me into this work? I, I taught for, for many years. And <laughs> that man, don't let him leave. Uh, Dan McMiller is the head of our Office of International Missions. I'm kidding with him. But he came to me, he says, yeah, I hear you're retiring from teaching. I said, yes. What are you going to do with that, that degree of yours? You're just going to retire with it? He said, we can use you. And he talked to me about it. And I said, this is good. This sounds like a good idea. And I'm very happy to have made the change and to be working where I am. But human beings do this. Yes. Uh, just for the audience uh, uh, that's on the air, uh, Pastor McMiller was just saying that um, the missionaries of our synod are supported not by a, a budget, but rather a synod budget, but rather by um, the gifts and offerings of, of our network people. And uh, we help that also by you know, keeping the costs down, keeping, the, keeping them minimal. But we're, you know, it's not a real hardship, I'd have to say, either. Um, when you have to pay just 73 cents to go on a wonderful Mashrutka bus, I mean, who wouldn't do that? Uh, the question is, does my wife know more Russian? <laughs> yes, she does. Uh, she's better at it than me um, because she does have to interface with the Russian life more than me. Um, it's kind of funny. The Russians are very gracious, though, about it. We were in a grocery store, and the lady at the checkout was saying something to us, and I started to want to grab my passport. You know, am I in trouble or something? She was just saying, do you want a bag? <laughs> <laughs> but this is the kind of thing. Okay, we need to sign off here, and we're going to have a closing prayer. All right, well, thank you so much, Dr. Courtright and his wife, Connie, for being with us. And actually... Kind of feel as though you brought, brought the mission to us this morning. That was a very great presentation. Let's just close with the benediction then. We're kind of short on time here. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. Thank you. Sunday, July 14th, 2019, KFUO celebrates with our day sponsors, John and Janet Rao of St. Charles, Missouri. John and Janet have made a contribution to KFUO in celebration of their granddaughter, Adelaide Rose, on her ninth birthday. 
as well as in celebration of her mother, Diana Helen, and her grandmother, Janet, and in loving memory of her great-grandmother, Helen Rose, all of whom have birthdays in July. Thank you, John and Janet Rao, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors.